I invite you to take your pew Bibles and open to the book of Daniel on page 879. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 4 this morning. Daniel chapter 4, this is the account of Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation before the Lord, which then leads to his being restored. We'll see what that means in a little bit. It's a lengthy chapter. I think uh, over the past month or so, we've had some lengthy uh, chapters, but such is the nature of the Old Testament in this way, and those who decided to parse out chapters, I guess, but... The Lord will go before us in the reading of this word this morning. Daniel chapter 4, the entire chapter. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation." At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, And its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. 
the tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty powers a royal residence? And for the glory of my majesty, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truths of your infallible word. We pray that you would show us Jesus Christ and him crucified this morning if nothing else but that. Be with my words, Father, as we go and explore this text together. We pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many of you here this morning don't mind reflecting on your past just a little bit? 
Um, especially your past, though, in light of who you are now in Jesus Christ. I ask this because reflecting on the past for some is not an easy thing to do. You remember those moments where you can, you can kind of hone in on a very particular moment in time, and it's real super cringeworthy to think about, and it kind of gives you the shivers whenever you think about it. And it's, it's, it's too awkward for you to think about um, for, for more than five seconds. I've had many of those moments. Um, I can think of when I was working in retail many, many years ago. I was working on the sales floor, and a lady came up to me and asked me um, if we had something in stock. I wasn't sure, so I went into the back room to go and check our inventory. Turns out we, we didn't have any of this thing. And I go back out onto the sales floor, and someone else stopped me in my tracks. And it was someone who I knew personally that I hadn't seen in a little while, so I ended up having this jovial conversation with them for probably 10 minutes while this lady is standing there waiting for me to give her an answer as to her question that she had asked me before. And every time I think of that moment, it's super cringeworthy and super awkward for me because it's just, it's just one of those moments you wish you could just blot out from memory. Super weird for me. But there are times in our past that it is totally permissible and, and it, it's okay to reflect on. It's healthy even, spiritually speaking. And what I mean by that is our life before Christ tied the cords of the gospel around our dead skeletal feet and dragged us to the, um, from the bottom of the ocean to the surface, breathing into us newness of life. It's okay to remember and reflect on our sin-filled lives before we proclaimed Christ as Lord and Savior. But it's, it's okay to do this, not in, in a sinful way, not to dwell on these things in a sinful way, but... Uh, in, in, in a simple and unhealthy way that leads then to further sin. Of course not. That's not what I'm advocating here. But in a healthy way, spiritually speaking, that, that Lord willing helps us in our sanctification and growth as God's people, as we grow in holiness. Maybe, you're, uh, maybe you grew up your entire life verbally admitting Jesus as your savior, but there was a season where your actions would betray your confession that he was also your Lord. No doubt many of us can attest to a period in our lives where we walked in unholiness, whether we grew up in the church or not, and when the heavy hand of the Lord was upon our shoulders and it presses in upon us, it, it yanks us from the muck of this world and wipes the dirt from our eyes, and then we reflect upon and hopefully appreciate the work that he has done for us. This is why Israel was told countless, numerous times to reflect on their past as who they were as God's people and the rescuing might of the Lord as he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. This is how the Ten Commandments started out this morning. What did God do? He reminded them of who he was, first of all, but then what he has done for his people, and in light of that, what they are now to do as his people. It's okay to reflect on these things. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not so sure that we will ever forget 
our lives here on this earth when we enter into glory. I believe that we'll remember every moment of it. Surely the holes in the hands and feet of Jesus Christ will remind us of what happened to him by the Roman soldiers, um, the brutal work done by sinful men, but also the merciful work that he did for us. I bring up this concept of remembering because that's what is before us straight out of the gate in the opening verses of chapter 4 of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, this vicious pagan king of Babylon, he seems to have had a life change immensely. Consider his words in the first verses there. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Now, what we're seeing here is, is a kind of a preamble, a prelude, almost like a, a flashback now. What we're going to see is a flashback to what has happened to Nebuchadnezzar. We're seeing this preamble to the account of, we could say, is his, his humiliation and restoration. He desires to tell all the peoples of what has happened to him. These peoples remind us of those who he had just a chapter ago entertained to bow down to his statue of gold beforehand. He desires to tell them of the great things the Most High God has done for him, promoting the Most High's kingdom and not his own. What on earth has happened? Well, What's going to be evident as we go through this passage um, is this hard truth that pride, or really, in essence, any sort of hard-hearted sin that is in our lives comes before many a fall. We've all heard that saying before. Whether it's indwelt in someone who claims to be a Christian or someone who is not, but in either case, God humbles those who are his, who are persistent in unrepentant sin or those hard-hearted in sin, and he then restores and exalts them as they lift their eyes to heaven, giving God all the praise and honor. That's uh, sort of the theme statement that we'll look at this morning. If you want to follow along, there is a, a sermon outline available for you as well. And in three ways throughout this text, we're going to see these elements of what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to see the warning of his humiliation, we're going to see the actual judgment of it itself, this humiliation as a sort of judgment discipline, if we could call it that. And then finally, we'll look at the, his restoration from humiliation. So first, we see the warning that is given to Nebuchadnezzar. This is a warning that humiliation is possible. It is probable. It will happen if he continues in his unrepentant lifestyle. And as we saw in Daniel chapter 2, warnings often come in the form of a dream. This is what is taking place. Daniel has probably been before Nebuchadnezzar at this point for about 40 years now. Daniel has, has aged quite a bit at this point in the narrative. And uh, if, as we continue through Daniel, Lord willing, and the years ahead, <laughs> this rate, um, dreams and visions are resplendent throughout the book of Daniel. And it is this dream that Daniel, called Belteshazzar here, not the magicians, not the enchanters, not the Chaldeans, not the astrologers, Daniel is able to make known this dream, just like he was able to do in chapter 2. 
and he's able to make known the meaning of this dream. We read of a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great. This tree grew. It became strong. Its top reached to the heavens. Uh, It was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant for eating. And the beasts of the field found shade under it. And all the birds of the heavens lived in its branches. And all flesh was fed from it. You can imagine the horticultural scope of this thing. In this dream, it was huge. It's massive. It's world-reaching. It's world-dominating. There is no question of what this means. As one scholar pointed out, and as Daniel himself points out, the image of this cosmic tree, if we can call it that, the center and pivotal point of the universe, as it's described, acknowledged Nebuchadnezzar's power and acknowledged his might. Daniel said in verse 22, It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. His kingdom reaching seemingly to the ends of the earth, or so it seems. With something as tall and as large as is described here, though, what else does this remind you of? It it almost alludes to something we read of that uh, also was constructed on the plains of Babylon back in the opening chapters of Genesis. Doesn't this remind you of the Tower of Babel in some respects? And then, you know, knowing who Nebuchadnezzar is and, and who he is in this portion of Daniel, the hubris and the pride that was put into constructing the Tower of Babel. The king no doubt gloried in his kingdom, for it provided, in the dream at least, beautiful leaves, abundant fruit, shade for beasts, and a multitude of branches for birds to sleep and live in. Nebuchadnezzar has built, and he has provided mightily for his people. Why should he not glory in all of this? Why should he not have his moment in the spotlight for the things he has done? Well, the dream continues, a watcher, a holy one, described um, by scholars as kind of an angel commissioned to carry out God's judgment on earth, orders this tree to be cut down, its branches lopped off, its leaves stripped, and its fruit scattered. All that this tree has grown to produce in one fell swoop from the creator of the universe is brought down to the very ground from which it came. But even in the felling of the tree itself, we see this this moment of care and provision for it. If you look at um, in the verses following, we read of how the stump and the roots were allowed to remain. They themselves were not totally pulled out of the ground, and they were bound in iron and in bronze, possibly suggesting that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom would be protected and then established after he learned to honor the true God. Verse 15 continues with not a description of the tree now, but it switches. Look at, look at the pronoun. It's him, not it. Him. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. Daniel makes it very clear that King Nebuchadnezzar is to be displaced from his supreme status 
to one below that of man if he does not relent of his sin. Verse 24, he says, It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King that you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. The king is then notified that at the end of his judgment period, uh, seven years is how it is is, uh, described and translated, he will indeed know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. That is sure. This warning of judgment, this warning of humiliation, it has a reason. There is a purpose for it, and the purpose is this, that Nebuchadnezzar would know who's in charge. The dream has been given. The dream has been interpreted. The warning has been given. The warning has been interpreted. Daniel then makes an appeal here for Nebuchadnezzar to humble himself in repentance because this really indicates that Nebuchadnezzar, the king's fate, is not inevitable. He could very well escape this severe discipline. He's given an out here to break off his sin by practicing righteousness and showing mercy to the oppressed that his days may be lengthened. This call for righteousness for Nebuchadnezzar, it's probably for some very specific sins that he himself as a tyrant has um, committed and being accused of as a man who um, forcefully and violently subjugates nations before him. But this is also a call for him to then put aside his pride as a king and to lower himself in humbleness to those um, oppressed under him and to show mercy to them. Nebuchadnezzar, this is important, he heard the word of the Lord. Daniel is prophet, okay? Given to him in a dream, then interpreted by the Lord's servant and prophet Daniel. Do we heed the word of the Lord as given to us in its entirety that we have before us in Scripture? The warnings contained therein. If you read Psalm 19, it describes the law of the Lord, his word, as perfect. And in verses 11 through 14, it describes a believer's response to God's word in relation to their sin. It says this, Moreover, by them, meaning the rules of the Lord, is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Do you listen and read the word of God's servant here? Do you listen to it as a servant of the Lord, cherishing it as a valuable source of warning, following it as a trustworthy guide? that leads to great reward, a reward ultimately that can only be found in Jesus Christ. The word made flesh, the rock, the sure foundation, the chief cornerstone of our salvation. How now shall we live, as the famous book is titled? Look to him as he is found in Scripture 
And the revelation of God will call us to rest our hearts upon this faithful covenant, Savior and Lord. In his word, God calls us to faith in Christ. In his word, Nebuchadnezzar was called to do something. Do we enact upon what we are called to do when we hear this word found in Jesus and put our faith, hope, and trust in that? Well, Nebuchadnezzar didn't learn from this warning. It's certainly a warning that we should heed as well. We're told right up front in verse 28, all of this came upon the king, all of it, as the dream suggested it would. However, 12 months passed. 12 months were given to Nebuchadnezzar to humble himself in repentance. 12 months, a whole year. Talk about long-suffering. Could you do that? That's hard. A whole year. Our God is a God so rich in mercy. A full year. But his forbearance with sin is not to be exploited. Nebuchadnezzar still soaks in his pride. Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Notice, notice Nebuchadnezzar's affixation upon himself. Is not this great Babylon, which I have built on my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? He's not recognizing a shred of what has been given to him. I mean, in some respects, he really has reason to be impressed uh, at the scope of this city. Babylon was huge. It uh, had ornate temples. It uh, had the hanging gardens of Babylon, the, one of the great uh, ancient seven wonders of the world that he had built for his wife. And its outer city, or city wall was so wide that chariots driven by four horses' width could pass on top of it. It was filled with splendor. I'll give him that. But... It led to his pride and then his humiliation and fall. And his words are still in his mouth when judgment is pronounced on him, when the sentence from heaven is passed and he is judged. Now, his condition is a very fitting punishment for the sin of pride. Verse 33, he was driven from among all men. And he ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. He is beneath man. He lives with the beasts of the field, hardly resembling a man at all. Now, some have sought to uh, describe Nebuchadnezzar's estate here as either what's called boanthropy. This is a psychological disorder in which the sufferer believes that he or she is uh, a cow or an ox, um, or lycanthropy, which is a similar form of madness involving the delusion of being an animal uh, with corresponding behavior. Ultimately, though, ultimately, the hand of God is at work here in judgment and humiliation in this man's life, even if it's used by means of these ways in the natural world in totally destroying Nebuchadnezzar's psychological state. 
As a pastor friend once said to me, as I mentioned that I'd be preaching on this text, he said, how fitting of a, of a punishment for Nebuchadnezzar. But really, this is what sin does to us. In a way, it makes us subhuman. This is really where the doctrine of total depravity uh, comes in. When we speak of, of total depravity of the human heart and of the human mind, we're talking about spiritually dead people under the influence of sin. The first uh, three verses of, of Ephesians uh, point us to that. Sin poisons all of human nature. Think of Genesis 6-5, uh, before the flood. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Jesus said in Mark 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. The bottom line is this. Sin corrupts everything from the human heart to the human mind, to its faculties. And ultimately, the spiritual health of man is dead without a Savior. This is what Nebuchadnezzar needs. This is what we need. How could he be saved? How could Nebuchadnezzar be restored? It is only going to take a miracle from heaven. Who then can be saved, Jesus says elsewhere in Scripture? With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Which brings us to our third point, the restoration from humiliation. Nebuchadnezzar is restored, but not, but not of his own doing. We recognize that just based on what we just learned on the condition of man's heart and of man's mind in correspondence with God. He could never have saved Himself, Even his lifting of his eyes to heaven is but by the sheer grace and mercy of God upon him. Even though the king saw himself as lofty and highly lifted up, in truth he was far from God. He was brought low. And when brought low, he lifts his eyes to the heavens, and there he finds God, closer than he ever was. There he finds grace. As James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And when Nebuchadnezzar is granted this grace, is restored and exalted, he recognizes the true king and ruler of the true kingdom. He is transplanted from his own kingdom to that of Jesus Christ. Recognizing the sovereignty of the Lord in all things, he renders praise and honor due to his name, who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar is so humbled that he admits that no one should be able to question the hand of the Lord in anything, or why he does what he does. And with this restoration, you could almost see and just kind of picture the look on Daniel's face, right? 
when this took place in the narrative of the book. Wow, <laughs> there it is, 40 years. And he's claiming God as his own, 40 years. And looking up, there grace is found. There are none so evil or so destitute that the grace of God cannot reach them. Is there any in your life that you have prayed ceaselessly for that they may be saved? Your prayers are not in vain. There is none so evil or lost that the grace of God cannot reach them. Do you recognize besetting sins in your life that betray your confession of Jesus as Lord and Savior? Pray for grace that it may be found and lift your eyes to heaven. Your prayers are not in vain. There is none so evil or so destitute that they can be saved and that God cannot reach you. James furthermore says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In Christ's very own humiliation, his work on the cross, his shed blood is sufficient for anyone, no matter who they are or what they have done. And while we must not presume upon and exploit God's forbearance and patience towards sinners, we need to recognize that his forbearance and patience towards sinners is to lead to something. And that something is repentance, as Romans 2.4 says. I mentioned the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 2, which detail the deadness of man and their sin when it comes to their spiritual state before the Lord. Well, the next few verses depict the beauty of the gospel in addressing this deadness of sinners. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar was a tyrant who enslaved Jews, but God. Nebuchadnezzar forced idol worship upon his subjects, throwing them in the fire upon refusal to bow down to him, but God. Nebuchadnezzar failed to recognize the God of heaven in his pride, but God. Fill in the blanks for those in your life who don't know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Fill in the blanks for your own life. You have been sinful in your pride, in your work, your money, your secret sins, you name it, but God. And when you recognize this God, he humbles us in our sin so that we cannot help but lift our eyes to beseech him in the heavens where he is, raises us up, seats us with Christ in the heavenly places because he has paid it all. We sit with him. His work is done. Under the humble weight of disobedience, there we recognize the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving him praise and all glory due to his name. Never give up on the lost, the sick around you. Never give up 
on the struggling Christian next to you. Because as the song goes, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. And because of that, may we say with Paul, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do indeed give you thanks for the inexpressible gift given to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, it's hard for us to admit, but where we need humbling, may you humble us. And may we lift our eyes to heaven, beseech your face, and recognize our place seated with Jesus in heaven. Lord, we pray that you would grant to us your spirit as we go forward this week, continue to sanctify us, continue to conform us to Jesus Christ, that we may be on full display for those around us. Help us to minister to the lost around us in this way, Lord. May the gospel enable us, the salvation that we know we have, enable us to go out and share that with those around us. Whether it's with someone who is lost or with someone who is just struggling with their sin, may they come to know Jesus Christ and his mercy and grace. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.